welcome back, listeners, to our third season of the Career Q podcast. I'm Lena. And I'm Nick. And in our third season, we are planning to spotlight trans filmmakers and the films that have impacted representation. We have filmmaker Clement Goldberg here with us. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Clement. I just want to start off that Nick and I are astounded by your work as a multidisciplinary artist, you know, as a director, animator, editor, visual artist, and even a Foley recordist. You know, I, I kind of was doing a deep dive and like researching and I was like, wow, you've done so many great work in the industry. You know, you've even uh, worked on Cheryl Dunye's uh, Black is Blue, if I'm correct which is amazing to me because I love that short. And so I wanted to kind of pick your brain about your journey as a creative artist from doing Foley work to making something as experimental and theatrical like Our Future's Ends. Sure. Well, thanks for having me as a guest. Um, I will say that the working as a Foley recordist, um, which was for an independent animation studio, I helped queue up the cues for the Foley artists, basically. So um, I learned a lot in that process of like when they would need to uh, do things for like walking on snow it was like putting cornstarch in a pillowcase and sewing it up and then walking on that. And I, I think from that experience, um, I was able to, with my own animation, do my own Foley. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's something that has, uh, there's, I did the Foley work in Our Future Ends. So that that is a way that there's like a straight direct through line, I would say, from um, my first job, one of my first jobs um, in LA to the present. So uh, thank you for the warm introduction. Um, um, I, I really appreciate it. And I did work on, um, I was an, I edited uh, Cheryl Dunier um, short, Black is Blue, and that was produced by Mark Smallwitz, and did that when I was living in San Francisco, and that was a really um, compelling project with great acting, and mm-hmm. I was I was happy to be a part of that. As an animator, what has kind of influenced your style from you know from the beginning? As like, what what inspires you? What inspired you to be an animator essentially, and to go into doing all these creative works? And what is uh, kind of your muse? I guess, so to say. Um, I mean, I found that animation kept creeping into different things that I I made. Um, I think I had, I made a, um, a music video for the trans rapper Catastrophe um, a while back. And in that I used paper cutout um, animation on Super 8. And I, and I was getting really interested in Super 8 for a while. Um, and then when I started the project for Valencia, which was Michelle T's memoir, which we adapted into a feature film, um, initially I came on as one of the directors of the project. And so I was just focused on doing a chapter of the project. So it was 18 um, chapters and 20 filmmakers each taking chapters for that project. And I was really interested in puppet animation um, and it's something I had not tried before. So I knew the parameters for, they, there were certain parameters for each chapter and they were all supposed to be five minutes. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna do this chapter where they take magic mushrooms and I'm gonna do half animation and half live, live action. And I'm gonna try my hand at doing puppets um, and make these Buffalo puppets. 
So because it, the chapter starts out in Golden Gate Park and they're and they're looking at the buffalo paddock there. So in doing that, I thought, well, if it's a big bale, I only have to do two and a half minutes of whatever like, the rest <laughs> is going to be. I will I can come up with something for two and a half minutes. But what ended up happening is that I just I fell in love with it, and and animation is its own subculture. It was really interesting, and it's an interesting place where it's like a subculture stacked on subculture. So it's there's like the train hobbyist people who are really like nerding out over foliage. And, um, and so it was like, I was going to them to just like understand how to make the best grass, you know? So, and then there's the actual animators who have forums and they're teaching each other online and have different prompts. And um, Mark from Animate Clay was a great resource. I learned a lot from his YouTube. And so, yeah, I was just self, I was self um, teaching and then learning from, the internet and the San Francisco Public Library to in order to do tabletop puppet animation because it was something I had never done before. Um, and then after Valencia, I, I had fallen in love with the puppet stop motion and claymation. And so I, and I had all this um, stuff left over and I built this like huge table. I didn't have a studio, it was just in my bedroom. Um, and I built this huge table to be DeBose Park in order to do this like very long shot, shot um, of the whole park. And that took up my room. <laughs> and so I had this huge table and I had all this stuff left over from Valencia. And that's when I, I started, um, I made a web series called The Deer in Between. And so that was like with all the leftover stuff from the Valencia project, I ended up just, I just really fell in love with uh, stop motion and, and making puppets at that point. Um, I can keep going on. I don't know if you want to, I feel like it's a very long-winded response, but it does from there, you know, our, our future ends is like the most recent um, project that I did. And that's with lemur, lemur puppets. And so mm -hmm. that starts getting into silicone heads and faux, and faux fur and like a more complicated um, setup of like, I was doing like a certain kind of molds for the claymation. And then it was a different kind of mold for silicone. And so it was, it was definitely a learning curve and that, um, took me to going to UC Berkeley for their art practice program. And I'd started the Art Future Ends before I went into that program, but I really, it became this whole huge interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, theatrical, you know, um, video and animation and stage performance and choreography and singing. And, and even that, it was the, um, the deer in between the last episode which you can watch the deer in between for free on on Vimeo. Um, the last episode is a is a musical finale, um, and that was what fed into doing live choreographed musical numbers and and working with uh, Larry Arrington did the choreography, and then Ted um, Ted M Superstar is someone that I had been working with uh, musically over the years, and um, and Sophia Poirier also. So it was like, I, I worked with a lot of the same people. And um, and I also, I don't know how to sew and um, had this amazing friend, uh, Margaret Bolton Grace, who did the costumes from Valencia forward. You know, so it was like, we started working together with this like live action animation crossover. Um, and then these collaborations just kept continuing over the years. And they're people that I would like to work with again and again. So, you know, talking about all of these projects, you know, going from Valencia to the deer in between and our future ends, you know, we see that evolution and your animation style and your involvement 
and a lot of these experimental projects. You know, when we think of experimental films, you know, we see them as the space where queer artists flourish the most. Experimental films, you know, they create conventional modes of filmmaking. They reject the norm of the classic linear style. Um, we see that throughout all of your work and this breaking from those norms is something that is very familiar to us as queer artists. And so something that we're really curious about is how does your experience as both queer and trans individual uh, weave itself into the art that you're making? Where do you see that come through in your themes? I mean, I think they're all queer cultural documents um, because they're coming from me and <laughs> my take on them, you know? So uh, I think, and then I, I get, I'm very inspired by the queer community, you know, and the communities of like artists that I'm around. So I think that I'm either collaborating with queer and trans artists and my work that's also been who I've cast as performers and all my pieces, actors. And um, I, it's, it, that, that part's always been very important to me because these are the artists that inspire me the most. We were asking about a muse before um, and for me, it's like the artist community I'm in is is the is the muse, and it's um, what I'm most tender about and have most um, love and grief around and connection to and inspiration from. Um, I think that yeah, most of my work is really community driven, I would say, and it's and it's been a gift. Like all the different um, queer and trans artists that I've gotten to collaborate with and work with over the years, that's that, that's really like the treasure trove of my life and, and one of the most fun things about it. And, you know, another part of animation is that as, as a queer and trans artist, it's not super easy to get funding to do projects. Like the resources are very difficult to come by. And I have so many films and so many things that I want to make. And I think animation became a way for me to kind of like workaholic you know, and, and like continue to like work with performers and, you know, work all hours and keep making things. So it was a way to just like keep making work um, because I couldn't necessarily make a film. It was a way to just kind of like shrink that into my own studio and then be able to, you know, I mean, it also sounds like I'm a very controlling person in a way because it just is animation's like super like you're running the lights, you're like, you're, you know, the puppets lights, is, you know, it's like, God of your own little universe. But I also, um, I think part of the, my, my transition um, and my journey, like working with a lot of different voices and having those voices come through the puppets that I'm animating, I think it was a lot about embodiment and like being able to like connect with a lot of different ways of being. Um, and I think that helped with my own um, personal, inquiry into like who I am and and as a non-binary trans person like what what is what does this all mean what is my journey and who am I on this journey so I think just kind of doing that rigorous self-inquiry and pushing the boundaries like as other people have done it and it's super helpful to me for all those shoulders I stand on um being able to have my own reflections and hope that I can like expand the who you can be in the world situation for other people or um, bring in amazing talent that I want people to have an experience with, you know, because I think these people are such treasures. 
Yeah, and uh, as you talked about before, um, your animated series, The Deer in Between, you brought in a lot of these um, talents. Um, by the way, um, I love that series. I like binge watch it. Um, oh, and I love that musical episode. I thought it was so creative. Um, I also love all the fungi, uh, fungi puns in the series <laughs> that you, you wrote. Um, but you know, there's also, you also touched on kind of like, from what I've uh, seen in your early works and looking at Our Future Ends, like the small excerpt that's on Vimeo, you touch on uh, extin extinction or endangered species. And I kind of wanted um, to know uh, what draws you to this theme um, that you like to embed in your work? I think that, um, you know, for the deer in between, when I, it was, I started that right after Valencia, and it was also when my grandmother was passing away, and, um, and I think it was a way, I wasn't, I would have loved to been able to help her, but I was not a doctor, you know, I was an artist, and so it was something, I think there was something about, like, it, like she was my person and my inspiration and I and I think her dying I think I was trying to like keep something alive like animation to like animate you know so it was like this and so I just kind of had to really grapple with my beliefs um when she like because what happens next you know and so it was this real like existential drama um wondering about what do I really think like I know what I thought I thought but like now what do I really think because this is being confronted with a grief I've never been through before um and that you know that grief also just ties into capitalism and it ties into extinction because these are all like things about loss you know and I and I and I think my whole body of work has been really interested in um in abolition and in um, anti-capitalism and in exploring other potential worlds and other possibilities and what else could exist if we weren't caging ourselves um, and each other, you know, um, what a beautiful world this could be if we weren't um, killing it off. Um, but our future ends came from, I had seen this documentary about the it was called the loneliest animals on pbs and it was all about different animals that were going extinct and then there was a section in the film at duke lemur center with lemurs um and i just loved them <laughs> they just like they were sort of studying them they're primates they're uh matriarchal they're only from madagascar and it was like and they've been around for millions of years so it was this species that existed evolving into all these different kinds of um, species of lemur that replicate almost the behaviors of birds, some of them, you know, like, and then other ones that used to be as large as gorillas. And so, but of course that's, they, they're uh, near extinction now. So there's, there's, um, and it's a politically tense situation. And so the Duke Lemur Center has been um, maintaining lemur populations and somehow in this, and, and they do it in their zoos as well. Um, and what they do is they partner different kinds of lemurs together in these habitats. And it just, and, and sometimes there's only like one of one kind of species and they're all kind of together. So there's something just very queer about it. Just the way they were sort of like um, Savaka lemurs with black lemurs or uh, actually maybe they don't put them together. Who do they, they usually put those, uh, they put the Safaka with the ring-tailed lemurs. Um, and 
I don't know. There's just something of like, of seeing that that was sort of Muppety and also queer. Cause I think in a way it hit that thing that the Muppets used to hit for me or something. There's something about just, and, and it's this idea of this home that you can't go back to, you know? And so I think my experience with, um, with Valencia and with traveling with Valencia was seeing the way queers were being displaced globally, you know? And so looking at gentrification globally um, and then trying to like, and thinking about that and then seeing this lemur thing and seeing about like this home that they can't go back to. So I think it's also just the diaspora and, um, and queerness and, and sort of cities that are ever changing and who's getting pushed out and all kinds of people are getting pushed out. And, um, and so I think thematically that's what draws me to extinction. Um, and it's also in a very literal way I'm really concerned about everything that is um, ex is critically endangered right now and dying off, you know? So I'm, I don't, I think the choices um, that we're making are like everyday decisions and are, are affecting the survival of this beautiful world. And then it's just like, we're living in a constant state of loss and it's like tiny losses on a daily basis that add up. So it's not that there's this one apocalyptic event that's going to happen. It's that it's, it's happening every single day. Things are going away that don't have to. And so I think in a way that kind of ties into the queer and trans politics and it just kind of cuts through in a lot of different ways. So I think that's why I work around these themes is because it's like, something that on its own is so compelling and important and feels like essential work. And then, um, but it would be, and then I try to step away a little bit from the human lens, you know, and look at it as a, as a bigger picture, you know, and not, and not be so humanist about things and just see my place as part of among the fungus and among the plants and, and animals. I'm, you know, I'm one thing and we're sharing this place. Yeah, I think that's what really spoke to us. And I think that's what really speaks to our society today because we've seen how capitalism, how, imperial, how imperialism before and today has affected us on a global scale. And we're seeing that, you know, there are so many species that are dying out and people don't think, you know, what does that do to our ecosystem? And so, you know, it's a gradual change, but we're very much on the brink of on the brink of extinction. And, you know, I think it really spoke to us and it really speaks to our time when, you know, it really should have been spoken to us decades before. But, you know, it's like we all have this collective, you know, feeling about this, of us being on the brink of this. And that really spoke to us and being able to connect that queerness to it is incredible because I think that that's the type of thinking that really puts those dots together of, you know, really understanding where we're at on the global stage. And it really takes a group of people who are queer, who are outsiders, who do not benefit from the structure to realize that no one benefits by the end of this. So it really takes an outsider perspective, someone who is queer to be able to speak to that. Um, so that was just like a brief tangent, just of loving, you know, this 
multidisciplinary work that you created, you know, our future ends, but you know, that's a very collaborative work, just like, you know, the Dear in Between in Valencia, you know, you worked with um, so many different queer artists. And so we wanted to know like what that collaboration process was like working on all of these series with all of these amazing artists, like, you know, Michelle T, her, what her memoir was based off of, and Ed Wolf and Zachary Drucker, all of these people that you worked with. And we want to know, like, what was the collaboration of all of these queer voices? And were there any challenges that you experienced while making these projects? Um, I mean, I think the challenge is that these are people that I've known for a really long time. And so they've their schedules have become much more full <laughs> over the years, you know, so um, because they're so talented, you know, so I think it's, um, I think scheduling can always be a problem um, and, and paying people their worth, I would say can be a problem. Um, but other than that, I mean, I think they're all just like funny geniuses. That's why, you know, I, um, I, I wrote parts for them with them in mind, you know, that's, um, so they're, so they're, I think that's been maybe the gift of, of working with people that I, I know really well, you know, although, I mean, Valencia that I cast from that kind of cast from um, social media. I saw pictures of people that I thought were really interesting that I thought could play these young, um, these young queers. And they're also artists that I've stayed in touch with and, um, and, and would still work with again. And uh, Tanya Wizereth, who, who played my Michelle is like an incredible painter and then also a tattoo artist. So I get my tattoos from her and uh, so I can wear her artwork around. Um, and then Miguel Mendias, who is also in Valencia in my chapter is someone that I've now written a feature film that I'm trying to get made a sci-fi comedy. Um, and I, I wrote um, the protagonist is, is based on Miguel and I would like for him to play Miguel. Um, so I think, um, and then for the deer in between, it was fun to be able to work with people in LA and in the Bay Area. There were artists that I knew for a long time, um, like Chris Vargas, Irina Contreras, um, Tara Jepsen, and then yeah, Michelle T and Ed Wolf, um, Ben McCoy is and yeah, there's a lot of like really fun uh, Kirk Reed and I, I mean I got to record a lot of that stuff at people's houses and I think it was just the luck of people being around, um, but. Yeah, I wasn't able to to pay any of them, but I think the nice thing about animation is that, and it's like very short, you know, they're five minute episodes. So it was really just about bringing my Zoom recorder over. That's funny, Zoom means so many things now. <laughs> um, bringing my recorder over and a mic and like running around to people's houses and then just having really um, amazing, you know, musical collaborators and like I said, costume and so just people that were willing to um, work with me for the, you know, I wasn't getting paid to do it and they weren't getting paid to do it. And it was just for like this fun, weird project. Um, you know, like uh, Vanessa Veselka was this great author that had come through uh, Michelle T's radar productions at the time. And I was like, oh, she's got a great voice. She should be, you know, a morel. <laughs> so it was kind of like that. And I think in a way, um, 
with our future ends, like I knew Brontes Purnell, I knew I wanted to work with him. I love his voice. And I, and so he was like in mind as my, as my lead lever for a long time. I just, I knew, I mean, I guess a lot of these people are writers too. So I know their voices really well or their performance artists, um, like, uh, Sandri Barra and, um, Zachary Drucker and Silas Howard. Like I just, I had these very like particular voices in mind. And then uh, Heather Och, who is, was also um, a performer. That was someone that like, I had taken mushrooms at my friend Bet's house and had just this vision of Heather in this, once it became like a live performance, I just had a vision of Heather being in this, on the stage, you know? And I refrained from sending a very, crazy email to her the next day <laughs> you know I think I think I just sort of sent a two sentence email instead of like um a, lo a longer explanation but um but then that's how she came into the project and um yeah I think it's mostly just falling in love with my friends voices honestly and and their artistry and then wanting to like capture that and I and I would write for, I would write parts for them you know with them specifically in mind so I think that's somehow just part of my process um Although I will say now writing a feature film has been very different and that I'm kind of like working backwards from that, like really hearing people and writing roles for people and but realizing that um, it's a little bit different than animation and this other other art form. And so I'm kind of letting go of particular people and, and embracing the character aspect now and just trying to make these characters and letting go of like the actual people in order to foreground story you know and it's it still will tie into the same themes but um but I think that that's somewhere that I see my art shifting a little bit is that um and maybe this has to do with the challenge question that you were saying which is that maybe that like I'm reaching a point where my friends are extremely successful and um very busy people and I and I'm also reaching a point where I'm not going to ask people just to do things for free <laughs> so I think it's like it's changing, um, not that I did for our future ends, I was able to pay people, I don't wanna give that impression. Um, I was able to get grants and stuff. Um, but, and even that, if I had more funding, I would turn that into a film, you know? Um, I think I have a lot of ideas and I guess that's that's one of the thing of, um, one of the things of being in the margins. It's like, you have these great ideas, I wanna do these big, bold things, but it's just to like partner with the resources and to find the producers and stuff is, is is difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I hope I answered that. I feel yeah. like I just went on a very long-winded journey. It, yeah, no, it, it was a great answer. And actually, it weaves into our following questions about being an independent queer artist and independent queer filmmakers. Um, you know, especially in a you know industry so dominated by you know cis uh, straight uh, heterosexual uh, representation. How has being an independent queer filmmaker helped you um, as an artist, or uh, how has it been a challenge and are there more steps involved in creating a project pitching a project as an independent queer artist um I don't I don't know I mean I think that I, I really can only speak for myself and my journey and my own capacity for um what I've been able to cobble together, I guess, over the years, I, I would just say it's it really dependent on the economy and the culture of the time, you know? Um, I think that there are a lot of trans filmmakers and queer filmmakers that I've known for 
over a decade, for a long time, you know, um, who've been making work and have only made so much work. And I know that they probably all could make a lot more work if the resources were there and a lot grander work. Like there's no shortage of talent and ideas, you know? Um, and I guess it's like, what is the, what is contemporary culture interested in and giving voice to? And um, I do think that this is a great time for queer and trans stories in a way that it never has been before. Like, I feel like we're in an unprecedented, unprecedented moment. Like Valencia was, I guess, pre-trans tipping point. You know, there's a lot of really great work that's all that um, sort of leads up to that tipping point. And I don't really know what that tipping point exactly um, how that correlates to what gets made. I think it's a really complicated, it's a very complicated question. Um, and I think so much just has to do with luck and timing. Um, and you know, really more than anything. And maybe that's true for everybody. And maybe that has nothing to do with being queer or trans. Maybe it's just the nature of the industry itself um, and the value of arts in this country. You know, I don't, it would be a different story probably in another country. I think this is like, I don't know that America, um, that the United States really values artists. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I like, we certainly as a country could do a lot more to show how much we value the arts and artists. Um, and so I think then you have more of like the entertainment industry or the art world, like things get really, become these kind of um, different questions for depending on where you want to go and what you want to do, you know, that's where you're going to hit particular obstacles or strides. I think depending on who you are, what you have access to, it's going to have to do with like class and money and nepotism and again, like luck um, and timing, you know, I mean, I do think that there's really incredible um, shows getting made right now that it's it's almost inconceivable that they happened it's very exciting <laughs> you know so it's like it seems like there's really great stuff getting made um so I'm kind of I'm really excited about this time I don't um it hasn't always felt like this you know it's felt very gatekeepy and uh limited I think to a certain extent um but now it, it feels like it's opening up quite a bit yeah, yeah, we're definitely seeing that with projects like The Nuno on HBO Max and then Legendary, which, you know, is rightfully giving the attention to the ballroom scene of the 90s and late 80s. And, you know, we are seeing this nice advent of trans content. Um, but, you know, there are so many filmmakers out there who, you know, are really struggling, trying to get their content out there. And, you know, um, you know, we would love to pick your brain about what advice that you would give to them for these aspiring queer filmmakers. Like, what is the best advice to keep them motivated, to keep trying, you know, to give young trans artists growing up in this country where we are facing extreme anti-trans legislature across the country? You know, how what is the best way to keep them inspired and to use their voices? And who are some of the, you know, the the trailblazers before that tipping point, before this advent of content that we have that's being made? Who are some of those filmmakers that you would 
advise these people growing up wanting to create, who would you say are the inspirations that they should be looking towards? I mean, what I would say that, you know, at the heart of my answers to most of your questions has to do with community. And I think that's why brick and mortar spaces are so important to have queer bars or art spaces or experimental art spaces for outsider types, um, culturally queer people. Uh, so I think that that's, we're in a precarious time. So I think the importance in you know, fundraising and, and, and like keeping these things alive, like understanding the importance and value of having intergenerational gathering spaces, whether they are bars or art spaces, it's really important to have uh, places where we can gather to evolve our culture and relate to each other and get to know each other as a community. And for me, um, film festivals, queer film festivals, you know, Outfest was really important to me. Frameline was really important to me. Going to, um, and that's because I live in, um, I, I live in LA now and I was in San Francisco and, and I've been back and forth. And so that's, you know, why I'm naming these two festivals. Um, but go, but they, they really build networks, you know, especially for filmmakers um, and have different programming throughout the year that, um, you know, at the heart is about film and queer people, you know? So I think like, I think being involved with and volunteering for, you know, film festivals, if you're not ready, if you're not yet making films that you're applying with, um, getting to know people, like attending, going to see art and screenings. Um, I think that, yeah, community is the most important thing. And that's also who you can you know, look towards to um, be inspired by and, you know, make work with. So I think that that, you know, and there's, there's different platforms now that we're not, you know, there wasn't YouTube and Vimeo and these things when I got started, you know, I was sending VHS tapes in the mail to film festivals, would you believe it? Um, and, and even DVDs, you know, I mean, it's like, it's much less of a drag now, like you can just really apply to things with a lot of like clicks of buttons. Um, so I think, and people may, you know, Tangerine, I think was filmed on a phone, you know, I think that there's different, um, uh, you know, and like I said, I didn't have a studio, I made a lot of work in my bedroom. Um, I don't have a studio space now, like I, I think that you know, we can be limited by these things, but also there's also a vibrant drag scene um, to get involved with, I think is another way if you wanna channel your creativity into something, um, if you're not gonna get into the technical side of things and you really want to get into the performance and creativity, um, going to drag shows, supporting drag artists and, you know, possibly getting involved in it um, as well is another, I think art form that sort of butts up against filmmaking in, in a way that really has started to overlap now that um, brick and mortar spaces were closed. You know, there's been a lot of like online drag shows where drag queens have been making music videos or, you know, different um, films and stuff for their performances. So I think these things are having a significant crossover. So it'll be interesting to see what happens culturally, I think for um, artists coming up now, like how will that impact their creations, you know, but I, I think that I'm not sure what to say about platforms because who, you know, like who benefits from us putting work up on YouTube and who benefits from, you know, um, 
making these choices of like putting things on Instagram and other, you know, I don't know who owns Twitch. I don't know who owns, I mean, I know who owns, like I Google owns YouTube. I, I, it's just been something that I've grappled with. I'm really not, I, I don't know as far as these, like the platform question and how this ties into different things. And I don't know how, um, to shift those things and I think also like white supremacy cuts through all of this art making um and and the festivals and all these other things through um gatekeepers and resources and things and so I think there's a lot that needs to be torn down as things are built up I think it has to be um having a foot in both both camps of like taking down the things that aren't working and then building towards things that are and I think it's something that like participating in that whether it's through your storytelling or your political community or like how you're moving through the world I don't I don't know that you can like um be an apolitical artist you know I'm not sure I mean it's doable but I I think like it's I can't necessarily like speak to how to do that and um and I think that uh you you asked about like different inspiring artists that they could look into um you know I think as far as like thinking about another um some like people who do some animation and um i was thinking about clyde peterson as a is a trans artist who's an animator who's also a visual artist and, and he's definitely worth looking into and and also like chris vargas is multidisciplinary and makes incredible videos and art and um he's really someone he did a, a web series with Greg Humans called Falling in Love with Chris and Greg. And I think that could be something inspiring for young artists and, and his films like Homotopia and Criminal Queers um, that he made with Eric Stanley. I think there's like a lot to be gleaned from um, artists and you can see in their work, the politics at play. And I think that, and also like, you know, someone like Zachary Drucker has um, who is also a historian while making these incredible artistic works, you know, and um, Silas Howard is is someone that I really look to as a huge inspiration in my life. I love the way he moves through the world. I'm so excited about all the different art that he makes. Um, and just knowing him as a person has been a real gift. He's been a real mentor for me. Um, and, you know, Michelle T also is like a close friend and somebody that is just always constantly impressing me with the way she moves through the world and makes work and who she like brings with her. You know, there's so many writers and artists that I've gotten to know through Michelle or um, that she's recommended. So it's like a whole universe has, has opened up through her. But going back to like people that um, maybe are a little off the radar, or films that are just sort of um really preceded the trans tipping points of I just I remember seeing the film The Aggressives um and that was in 2005 that was like a significant trans film I think that I, I hadn't seen anything like that and also Courtney Ryan Ziegler did um uh, a film um still black uh a portrait of a black trans man I think it's called something like that and I remember um Chase Joint's early short films and Jules Roscombe's um, films also. Uh, and then I think like checking out if you're interested more in like abolition politics and things like that, I think looking at Major and Free CC, those are really important works. Um, 
And I know, and like Tourmaline made work about Marsh P. Johnson and is an artist making work right now. Um, and like coming into the present, um, I know I'm not, I'm not gonna um, be as exciting as Oprah, but uh, Sam Fader's film Disclosure is also something definitely worth watching. I think for anybody who wants like to go backwards in time um, and then come to the present day to understand how like mainstream um, industry stuff ties into trans representation. Uh, and I know um, you're gonna be doing an episode with Susan Stryker and like Screaming Queens was an incredible film to check out. Um, also uh, Malik, Amalia and Madsen Menix are also trans filmmakers that are artists that are making work that you may not have um, heard of. And um, I guess, oh, I also want to say there's uh, Drew, Ge Drew Gregory on Autostraddle. Uh, she writes um, really great uh, critiques of film and sees a lot of film. And, and she put up an article about like films to watch now that you've seen Disclosure and that's got a good list of films to check out. Um, so I think that's I think that's a good that's a good list maybe it's a good starting point. Um, there's a lot. <laughs> it's a huge you know. I'm just thinking of things that maybe people haven't necessarily heard about uh, or heard of um, to kind of attend to those things. Not to to not mention people. Oh, and then Carrie Cronenweg, who will also will be on the show, is definitely a must as well. Um, his his film Magnet Men and and Phineas Slipped um, and other works. So. You'll get more into Carrie's stuff when when he's on, but yeah, there's a lot of great people out there. Yeah, no, thank you. Like, honestly, I feel like there's not a lot of attention or coverage on a lot of these artists that you just mentioned, and I love that you're um, letting us know and letting our listeners know because then they can go out and you know, you know, support these artists that don't get the attention they deserve. And I love that. Um, so this is a segment where you can kind of plug yourself, um, plug your platform, any work um, that we should be looking for, be excited for. Is there going to be a season two of The Deer in Between um, or anything like that? Um, this is your spotlight now. My spotlight. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm writing a, a science fiction comedy um, and I'm looking for producer and resources and help. Um, to make my first narrative feature. So I will, I will say it. So it's called Let Me Let You Go. And that is about trans artists and, um, and fungus. And it's, uh, it's a very timely piece um, mm -hmm. and probably timeless. So yeah, so I will say that's, that's sort of my, my big thing. And I, and I probably will be looking towards fundraising for that and trying to make it however I possibly can. So that's that's the thing that's in my heart um, to get made right now. And, but I'm also, I've been writing a pilot for The Deer in Between for like a live action animation pilot for, for that. And um, yeah, I don't know. I really, I'd like to get a job on a writer's room. So if you think that I'm funny and <laughs> or dramatic or whatever, uh, I'm kind of, I moved to LA looking for that kind of work, uh, writing and directing. And um, so I'm just trying to do that and and um, work on art. That's really, I, I don't have too much else to, to shine a light on just in this moment. I think those are the, those are the major headlines, I would say. Well, thank you so much for joining us today in our first episode of our uh, third season, Clement. Um, so 
listeners, please go check out Clement Goldberg's work and support them and definitely watch um, The Fear in Between and be excited for their sci-fi feature. Thank you so much. Um, I, I definitely didn't name everybody involved in our future end. So if you want to see clips from it and like learn if you don't already know about artists like uh, Mariam Farnaz Rostami and Siobhan Alevalot and um, all kinds of great people, you can like go to my website, which is clemgoldberg.com. And so you can read about my collaborators and the different um, artists that are part of these different projects. So I didn't get to name everybody, and um, but I love you all. And thank you for having me for you. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure to say that. But thank you for having me on the Pure Q. I really appreciate it. Um, It's been fun to be a guest. And thanks for checking out my work. Awesome. Thank you. you. Well, this concludes our first episode of season three of the Pure Q podcast. And stay tuned for our next episode. And stay safe and stay queer. Bye.